What do we say about folks who are transfixed on a singular goal or purpose? Maybe it's a teenager and they're really wanting to make the team. They've been training really hard to get ready for the tryout. Maybe you're a teenager and you, you want to go to this certain college, but you have to raise your ACT score by three points. And all you're doing is studying and taking practice tests and getting ready for that test. Maybe you're uh, a young man and you're, uh, you're trying to figure out how to get her to go to dinner with you. Uh, so you're pulling out all the stops. Maybe you're interviewing for that dream job, doing all you can to tweak your resume, to do all the networking uh, that's possible. Maybe there's a big project at work or that deal that if this deal goes through, um, it will make your year, it might even make your entire career. What do we say about people like that? We say that she's on a mission. He is on a mission. You can see it in their eyes. Remember from the very beginning of the book of Acts, this book is about God's mission. To call people into his family through the work of Jesus Christ. Um, Acts tells us about what Jesus continued to do. And, And God's been on a mission from the very beginning. God was on a mission when he was getting things ready for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into the world, to be born of a virgin named Mary in the little town of Bethlehem. He was on a mission as Jesus lived a perfect life and laid down his life on the cross and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven. Acts tells us that King Jesus is still on a mission. That's what we've been talking about through the book of Acts. And God is still on a mission Today And it's really important for us to remember that God is on a mission because, frankly, we forget it. It's really easy for us to forget that God is moving and that God is working. It's good for us to remember that God is on a mission today, even now, in this world. In us and among us. He's on a mission rescuing people and changing people and loving people with an everlasting love. And that's one of the things that this passage talks about. And it's what I invite you to think about with me this morning. First of all, the first thing I want us to see is that God was on a mission with these men. There are so many details to this story that are not in the Bible. There are so many things that could have been told about how Paul met these folks and what happened and how things went down. But in God's perfect plan, they're not mentioned here. But I think there are several things that we can see as we look at Acts chapter 19. First of all, God was on a mission with these men. There were 12 guys that Paul came into contact with. And one of the things that we can see is that God was already working. God was already working. There were 12 men in Ephesus. They came in contact with Paul. The Bible says that they were disciples. They were learners, but I believe they were not yet converted disciples to Jesus Christ. It seems that they were disciples of some form of John the Baptist's teaching. The text tells us that they received John's baptism. They They may or may not have had families. They may have been connected to the synagogue where Paul eventually began to teach. 
But even as Paul explained to them what was lacking in their faith and their understanding of the kingdom of God, it's important for us to remember that God was already working. God brought them into contact with Paul. They knew part of the story. We don't know much about it, but they had some sort of framework. God was already working. And we'll see this more as the passage unfolds. But it's important for us to remember the people we see, the people we come in contact with, God is already working. Another part of God's mission with these men that we can see is that they got some of it right. As I said already, they were disciples of John the Baptist. They probably didn't see John the Baptist in person, but someone came and told them about the exciting message that John the Baptist shared. Do you remember his message? He told people to get ready to repent, that the Messiah is coming, God's sending his rescuer for people like us. So these men were waiting for Jesus. They were waiting for God's promised Savior, but... Somehow that's where their knowledge stopped. That's where their understanding uh, ended. They were looking for the promised one and they did not know that Jesus had already come, that he already rose from the dead, that he had already ascended into heaven. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I read a story that I think illustrates this. During the later part of the 18th century, many colonists left Virginia... And they were headed west. They were going to go over the mountains to, the, to settle the valleys that, far, that lay far west. And there were several things that, that stopped many of these people on their, in their tracks. Fear of Indians, the death of a horse, breaking down of a wagon, forced many of these people just to set up camp in the mountains before they made it across to the valleys that they were headed for. For over 20 years, there were certain settlers who saw no colonists at all until a group of travelers straggled onto their homestead. Naturally, there was much conversation about the outside world, and the travelers asked them, what do you think about the New Republic? What do you think about the Continental Congress and their uh, decisions? And the people said, what are you talking about? We haven't heard of the Continental Congress or the New Republic. They thought themselves royal, loyal citizens of, and subjects of King George and the British Empire. They hadn't even heard of George Washington or the Revolutionary War. They were off the grid and they missed this major geopolitical event. And that, that's kind of what happened here. These guys didn't even know that Jesus Christ was... The Messiah. They didn't know that he was the one. But there are a couple clues from the text that they did get part of it right. Paul asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we didn't even know that there, there is a Holy Spirit. It's possible that they had not even heard that the Spirit was something and part of, of God's plan. Most commentators believe that they had heard of the Holy Spirit, but that they didn't know that people could experience the Holy Spirit in a personal and intimate way. They'd only received, they only knew about John's baptism. They didn't know about the baptism of Jesus and what happened 
at Pentecost. They just didn't know. These are some of the reasons that I think these men were not yet converted to Christ. They were not yet disciples of Christ, but God was on a mission to them and for them to show them the fullness of His grace through Jesus Christ. They got part of the story and Paul basically fills them in and he fills them in with this simple detail. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look at verse 4. He essentially says, what you know and what you believe is good as far as it goes, but I've got really good news for you. The one you're looking for, he's already come. It's Jesus Christ. And I think it's fair for us to believe that Paul went on to explain who Jesus is and what he had done. He probably talked about his birth and how it was at just the right time in history. And how all the prophecies and promises of God from the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus. He may have told these men about the miracles, the healings, the love and compassion that Jesus had on people just like us. He may have told them about how Jesus' teaching was different. How it was filled with power and authority. Unlike the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees, he taught with authority. And then he probably told them about Him being betrayed by his friends, by one of his own disciples. And of him being unjustly tried and mocked and how he died a slow, cruel death, crucified on a cross. And how they laid his dead body in a tomb. But then when the women came on the third day, the body was gone. How he rose again from the dead. How he appeared to the twelve and more more than 500 people. How he ascended to heaven. Maybe Paul even told these men about his own story. And that even though he hated Jesus and murdered his followers. That Jesus came to me and he showed me his grace. God was on a mission with these men. You know God's still working in people's lives today. He's working in the lives of individuals all around us. When you come across people, these are some of the basic truths that you can count on. God has already been working. This isn't a guarantee that these people will have faith in Christ or be converted to Christianity. But we know that folks have gone through all sorts of experiences. They've asked what John Blanchard calls the ultimate questions in life. They know deep down that this world, this life, there's so much more to it than a bunch of random atoms. Each person that you meet, each person that you come in contact with has gone through deep and difficult things in their life. Darkness and pain. And they've asked the question in hope and wonder. I wonder if there's more to this world and the world to come. Someone may have already told them about God's mercy and God's grace. They may have already know the gospel message. They may be running away from it like so many of us did. With that in mind, they may have some of it right. They may believe in God and have a desire to be known 
yearning within them. That's where we lovingly, winsomely come into people's lives and we talk about Jesus and the gospel. It's all about Jesus. That's the first thing I want us to see this morning is that God was on a mission with these men. Another thing that we can see from this text is that God was on a mission in Ephesus. Ephesus was an important city in the ancient world. It was a port city. It was a crossroads of commerce and culture. Scott's already mentioned this a few weeks ago. Ephesus was a religious city. It was a religious city where the cult of the Roman emperor thrived. Ephesus supported the temple and statue of Artemis, or Diana, an ancient fertility goddess. Ephesus was also a place where many displaced Jews found a new home. It was an important city, and it's very clear here and in the rest of the New Testament that God was on a mission in Ephesus. Here's some of the ways we know that's true. First of all, God was on a mission through multiple people. It's really interesting when you read uh, chapter 18 and chapter 19 of Acts. You see all these different people pop up. You have Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, Paul. Do you remember when uh, Apollos went to Corinth, there were some unnamed people that wrote a letter of recommendation for him. There were, there were folks that were all around God was working on multiple levels with multiple people through multiple people. And this is really important for us to remember. God was on a mission through multiple people. First, it's important for folks who are the high-energy, influential types. It's a simple reminder that you cannot do it all. Everyone else's spiritual growth, everyone else's well-being in this world is not dependent upon you. God is working in Ephesus through multiple people, from multiple angles. He's working now through all sorts of folks. Trust that. You don't have, you don't have to be everything to everyone. In fact, you can't. God didn't make us to be that way. I think another thing that we can see from God being on a mission in Ephesus, being on a mission with multiple people, is to remember that God can use you in his plan, in his mission to love and serve and care for other people. No matter who you are and what your skill set is. He doesn't just use the teachers and the people up front at the church. In fact, and you guys could testify to this. Some of the most influential and life-changing words and actions come from folks just like you. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, neighbors, even strangers who bring a meal, who give a hug, who say they love you and that they're praying for you. People who will laugh with you and maybe even cry with you. God is on a mission through multiple people and those multiple people are you. There's a great story that illustrates this from my dad's life. My dad was a truck driver for over 30 years. And after my parents got divorced uh, in 1984, my dad was in a really dark place in his life. 
He was lost spiritually. He was absolutely broke financially. He had a broken family. He was living in a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, His life was uh, at a low point. And he and one of his uh, friends uh, that worked with him, they were both driving their trucks kind of together on the same route. And uh, this is way before the, the age of cell phones. They talked on their CB radios. Breaker, breaker, one nine. Um, and uh, his friend said, hey, you know, my dad's like call sign was Daffy Duck. Hey, Duck, um, let's, let's, let's stop at this rest area. Let's stop at this truck stop and get a bite to eat. So they pulled off and this man was younger than my dad. He knew that my dad was sad and depressed and uh, really in a bad place. And this young man was also a Christian. And when they stopped at the truck stop, um, he, he got out of his truck and he, he jumped up onto the side of my dad's truck. He climbed up on the side of the truck and my dad rolled down his window. And the man said, you know Jesus loves you. My dad knew the gospel. He went to Bible college. He had just been running away from God for a very long time. And God used those simple and powerful words to accomplish his rescue mission in my dad's life. God was and still is on a mission through all sorts of people. People just like us. He's working in this world. God was on a mission to Ephesus through Paul. I don't want to labor this point too much, but Paul poured his life into this place, especially as we think about how fast the gospel spread, how quickly people were being converted, how many cities Paul and others visited and sharing the gospel. He spent a bunch of time in Corinth, and he spent even more time in Ephesus. Over two years, and I think it's a sign, it signifies that he had a huge heart for this place. He had a sense that God was on a mission in Ephesus. He loved this city and God used him to make an impact, to change people's lives, to change the place and the people. And I think one of the simple applications for us is, no matter where you are in your life, However long you have in your current position or place, God can use you in his mission to have an impact for him, especially as you are committed to love the place and the people where you are. And I know that's difficult. I know that it seems like everything would be better if the circumstances just changed a lot of times in our lives. But... God was on a mission to Ephesus through Paul, and uh, part of that was that he spent a lot of time there. He poured his life into this place. God was on a mission to both Jews and Greeks. I mentioned it earlier, but Ephesus was an influential city, a crossroads of commerce and culture and religion. It was a melting pot of cultures and religions. Greeks, Romans, Jews, folks from all over Asia lived there. And one of the striking things from this narrative is that Paul, first of all, preached in the synagogue. He went there, 
And he brought the gospel message to people of Jewish descent. And it seems that there were several who believed his message, but some didn't. And they began to speak evil of the way of the message of Jesus. So he went and he started meeting in the hall of Tyrannus. And he reasoned daily. He preached. He poured out his heart to these people for two years. And then there's this incredible uh, statement in verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. God was on a mission in Ephesus to both Jews and Greeks, to people who had some sort of religious framework, and to those who worshipped a fertility goddess, and to those who thought that their emperor was a god. God was on a mission to all sorts of of people, and he's still working to draw and to bring folks into his kingdom, into his family, from all different backgrounds and stories. People who are different from us socially, ethnically, racially, economically, God is working. God's on a mission to reach people like us and to reach people who are different from us. People who have our values and people who don't see the world the same way that we do. And I think part of us embracing that mission and celebrating that mission can begin and continue as we look around and realize and remember the kingdom of God doesn't simply exist of people that are just like us. God is on a mission in Ephesus to both Jews and Greeks. The last thing I want us to see this morning was God is still on a mission, and he's on a mission to the ends of the earth. God's mission in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In our journey through the book of Acts, we've seen God's Spirit poured out in special ways at different points along the way. We believe that in each of these instances, each of these expressions of tongues and prophecy, it's a replay of what happened in Acts chapter 2. You remember in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, 3,000 people were converted. That was an event that signified, it showed God's mission to the entire world. And here in Acts chapter 19, as these men receive Uh, As they prophesy and they speak in tongues after receiving Jesus, it's a replay of what happened at Pentecost. Thankfully, I've never been in an earthquake before. Brother Eric has been in several earthquakes. He used to live in California. And uh, he always would tell me the hardest thing about an earthquake uh, is the aftershocks. You know, the first one happens and everyone's afraid. And then the aftershocks take place. And they're not as strong as the first one, but you think, oh, oh no, it's happening again. Here we go again. And in some way, what happened in Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 10, and in Acts chapter 19 are a result of what happened in Acts 2. They're a replay, a rehashing of what happened at Pentecost, and they're a demonstration that the gospel... And God's Spirit is being poured out on people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. 
This is not, in our understanding, a passage that encourages Christians to look for some extraordinary expression of spiritual gifts in their lives, looking for what some call the second blessing. We believe it's a demonstration that the gospel is going out, going forth to the ends of the earth, and that the blessings and fellowship of the Holy Spirit come to folks when they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's still on a mission with religious people and secular people. One of my favorite aspects and expressions of Christianity growing in Ephesus is that the gospel went to religious and secular people. It changed folks who knew very little about God. It changed folks who thought they knew everything about God. It changed folks who worshipped Caesar and folks who worshipped money. God is still on a mission calling people into his family into his kingdom, people who are religious, irreligious, apathetic, cynical, spiritual. He's calling all sorts of people to himself. One of the last things I want us to see this morning is that God is on a mission through the networks in our lives. Personally, think about this. Paul found some people and he started to talk to them about Jesus. We don't know how he found these guys. We don't know where he found them. But he came into contact with people and he moved those conversations toward Jesus and his gospel. Who are the people in your life? Neighbors, friends, maybe you know folks who your children play on the same sports team, they go to the same school. Whose paths do you cross? Co-workers, people from the neighborhood association, maybe you're, you go to the same gym, you're part of the same dojo. Uh, I don't know. But shouldn't we be thoughtfully, prayerfully thinking about those relationships, those people? And our Christian faith, The life and hope that we have in Jesus Christ can and should be a normal part, a hopeful part of our lives and our stories. God is on a mission through the networks in our lives, through the people that we know. God's on a mission locally. This happens formally and organically. We have concrete connections with ministries all over our city, Hope Ministries. Christian Outreach Center, the Gardier School. We also have friendships and connections with other people and other folks and other churches where we can meet someone and then say, you know what, I have a friend who may be able to help you with that. They've, they've gone through the exact same thing. They've dealt with that problem at work. Um, they know something about fighting an addiction like you're dealing with. We have a network of people locally, regionally. We know Christians and have a network all over the place. Oh, you're moving to Birmingham? We know people there. I know the pastor of this church. You ought to look them up. This happened uh, last week. We have one of our church members uh, who's uh, doing military training in Columbia, South Carolina. He texted me earlier this month and he said, where should I go to church? God's on a mission. You're going off to college. You need to look up the folks with RUF or other campus ministries. 
to be connected there. Regionally and globally, God is at work. We support, we pray for, we're part of the mission teams of missionaries literally all over the world. God's on a mission through the networks in our lives. God is on a mission with these folks. God is on a mission in Ephesus. And God's still on a mission in this world with us. One of the greatest privileges we have as human beings, as God's people, is that we get to be part of his story. We get to be part of this mission. I've used this illustration before. I'm sorry. I think I only have about five illustrations that I use. Um, It's about a documentary that I saw in the last few years about folks that were connected with the U.S. space program back in the 50s and 60s. And they interviewed people, all sorts of people, astronauts, people who worked in mission control, engineers, scientists, mathematicians, folks who worked in the factories that made the parts that went into the spacecraft or even the space suits. They, they interviewed people that worked in the cafeteria at NASA. And they almost all said something like this. I knew I was part of something bigger than myself. I knew that I would never be connected with something this big, this exciting in my life again. They had what seemed an impossible goal and they were, well, they were able to accomplish it. Being part of God's family and part of God's mission is a calling that is incredible. It is an awesome privilege that we get to be part of calling other people, men and women, boys and girls, to have faith in their creator and their redeemer, Jesus Christ. God is on a mission with these men. He's on a mission, he's on a mission in Ephesus. And he's on a mission to the ends of the earth. And he's on a mission with us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your work. I pray that you would help us to trust in you and to know day in and day out that you're at work in this world, not just through other people and in other places, but you're at work here and you're at work in us and among us. And I pray that we would uh, live with that sense of knowledge that you're working. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we'll take up an offering to support the work and worship of this church and other ministries that we support. Uh, We encourage those who are part of our church to give. If you're visiting, feel no obligation to give at this time.